listening to the Rent Roll Radio Show with Sterling Chapman. Hey, Rent Roll Radio listeners, welcome back to the show. Today, we're joined uh, by a friend of mine, Joe Perlman. Joe is actually, this is take two. Um, we met about a year ago at Joe Fairless's Best Ever Conference, and we hit it off. He's a super cool dude, so I immediately asked him to join the show. And right when we got on the show, I guess that was March, and the whole pandemic thing hit, and Joe's in the vacation rental business. And right when all that stuff smashed down on us, they immediately like banned vacation rentals for two months. So he just, it was a shock and all moment in history. So I went ahead and archived the show and I said, we got to do it again. So I reached out to him a couple of weeks ago and I was like, hey, how are things going? He said, man, the floodgates open and it's, it's rocking and rolling. I said, all right, well, we got to come back and do take two. So Joe, super glad to have you back on. Thanks for having me, Sterling. It's been, uh, yeah, deep depression, right? When that all started, <laughs> right? When we were <laughs> talking and no, it's been great. So we're back to living the dream, rocking and rolling over here. So can you tell our listeners a little bit of your background and, you know, how you got started, what you did before, and you can just kind of bring us current on your, your backstory? Absolutely. So getting started, I was in industrial sales. I was selling equipment across the Southeast and I covered 13 states. And so I got a ton of windshield time. A lot of these manufacturing plants, they're just in the middle of the woods. And so I just got to drive around and listen to podcasts and any books I could get my hands on. And my sister's fiance at the time shot me over the uh, Bigger Pockets podcast. And I just got hooked on this like idea of financial freedom. And so I dove into that podcast and then the following books. And I got into the Best Ever podcast and just a lot of the different free outlets to learn as much as I possibly could. That was back in 2016. So I spent about two and a half years of just learning, absorbing, trying to find out any information I possibly could. 2018, I met a guy named Alex Felice, who was buying single family homes in Fayetteville doing this burr method. And I was like, well, that sounds like fun. I'm going to try and see if we can't make that work. And man, just jumped in head first. And Alex is not shy about saying he made you. No, not at all. <laughs> um, if you ask Alex exactly how this went down, he breaks it very simple. It's Joe reached out to me, taught Joe everything he knows. Joe is now successful. Um, and so I kind of have to live with that now, which is okay. I'm fine with it. <laughs> so you started in the single family space. Yes. I was buying single family homes in Fayetteville, North Carolina. We were doing just buy, rehab, rent, refinance, repeat. At the time, I didn't have any of my own capital. And so I was borrowing money from friends and family to fund these deals. And then I was able to refinance out of them. And I was just able to pay it back to them with really good returns. And so that was my kind of trial by fire. And it worked out great. We did five of them in the first year. And slowly, a lot of investors started getting into that market as well. And so me being new at it, I saw it and I was like, oh man, I got to leave $2,500 in this deal. It's not a deal anymore. If I could go back and I just smack myself across the head, I've been like, hey, find any way to buy these things. Because we saw a market shift and things changed. But um, and now, that, now the houses are astronomically priced in Fayetteville, North Carolina. Oh yeah. You're going to, I mean, you're going to leave 10, 15 grand and to do the same thing I was doing back then, but like, it's still a really good deal is the thing. Like sure. we were buying for cash flow, We were securing long-term low interest debt and you have adequate cash reserves. Like you're going to be successful in that. Dude, and, I got so spoiled on the burst side because I was pulling out like 20 grand more than I even put into it to begin with. 
And then I was looking at deals where like all I was going to be able to do is get my money out. I was like, oh, dude, I can't even pull any extra cash out. And I'd pass exactly. on them. And I go back, I'm like, what about, what's wrong with me? I'm not doing anything right now when I could be building my portfolio because I didn't get all this, you know. So I hear you. Yeah, exactly. And so, I mean, it was the quote unquote good old days. And we didn't even think we were in those because we were like, oh man, look at all these guys that were buying in 2012. Like they're multimillionaires. And it's like, no, it's like we were investing in that market and then the market shifted. And so, Hey, these are the good old days of the future. Somebody, I heard a quote the other day and it was, things are never as good as they were in the good old days and they never were. (laughs) (laughs) That's good. That's a good one. But yeah, man, so that's where we got started. And I'm actually really thankful though for that shift because it put me in a position of where I was like, oh man, I've got to figure out what's my next thing. And just from networking and local events and on a guy on Bigger Pockets as well out here in Carolina Beach was house hacking. His name's Clint Harris. And I reached out to him and he sat down with me very similar to how Alex sat down with me on Burr Properties. And he showed me how he was living for free on Carolina Beach. I was like, hey, if he can do it, I can do it. And man, that started a really great journey of buying short-term vacation rentals. So let's back up and finish the, the Burr story real quick. Okay. How many Burrs did you end up getting? We ended up doing five burrs and they were just very simple deals. How much did they cash flow? About $150 a month when it was all said and done. And so we'd buy a property for $40,000, $50,000, put twenty grand into it. They'd rent for $900 to $1,000 a month. And then vacancy, capital expenditures, maintenance, property management were cash flowing about $150. Okay, cool. When you say cash flowing $150, how much do you, do you allocate towards vacancy? How much do you allocate towards CapEx? All those intangibles mm-hmm. that we like, people tend to forget about. And when I say people, I like definitely mean me because I've like thrown around like, oh yeah, dude, I cash flow $500 in that house. And like, that's really just like netting out the mortgage and the interest and the taxes. If you look right. at like all the shit I spent fixing it up and like the repairs and the vacancy, like it's way lower than that. So. Exactly. And personally, I'm putting aside 27% for that. 10% okay. for property management, 5% capital expenditures, 5% maintenance, and 7% vacancy. Okay. But I've got a rock star property manager. I've never had a vacancy. We do a lot of rehab on the front. And so I haven't had as high of costs, but I put that money aside because I know they're coming. One day I am going to have a roof. But like we talked off in the beginning about how you're able to pull money out of them. Like I was able to do that on one of my deals, which in turn actually covers all those expenses right. for all the future. And so the way I really run my accounting is I've got a set amount of money that I'm trying to get to and I don't pull any money out of that cash flow until that account's at that number. And then anything above that, I pull all the money out and I just count as my own. But originally running my numbers it was $150 a month. Now you see, I've, and I don't know if this, whether it's right or wrong, it's probably not the most responsible, but it's what I did. So on a few of those burrs earlier this year, like I pulled, like I said, a shit ton of cash out and I could have left the cash in there and had better cash flow. And I'm not negative cash flow in anything like worst case I'm breaking even, but I was looking at it. It's like, okay, I could pull $20,000 out of this house or I could have an extra $100 a month cash flow. How many months of it, $100 a month, would it take me to collect $20,000? Right. And, you know what I mean? So I'm like, I, I think I'll just take the 20 grand. You know, I'm not selling the asset. I'm still paying the debt and all the expenses with the rent payments, and I'm still letting it appreciate. I'm still taking advantage of all of the bird things. And I've got other properties that 
cash flow. Maybe not as much as I once said they did, but they still cash mm-hmm. flow. You know? <laughs> <laughs> so I want to break down of all your numbers. Yeah, right. yeah, yeah. <laughs> I don't. <laughs> <laughs> totally good. One of my first guests, he said, I feel like that's everybody's dirty little secret is nobody actually makes as much money in real estate as they say they do. <laughs> and Alex was on here last week. He's like, they lie. They all lie. <laughs> I'm so excited for that episode to come out. It's going to be amazing. And then immediately followed by mine, they're just going to be like, he taught this guy? Like, oh my gosh. <laughs> no, I mean, I think you're 100% right. But that's a beautiful part about real estate is there are multiple exit strategies all the time. And it's like for you pulling out $20,000, if you can allocate that to another asset that's going to bring you a better return than it's sitting in that property, that's a no brainer. Do that all day. And it's okay as a real estate investor to change your mind. You don't have to come into this thinking that, okay, like I'm going to do this one strategy. It's going to be this way forever. That's just not true. When I first started, I thought, oh, I'm just going to buy 130 burrs in Fayetteville because (laughs) it can support it and the numbers work. And it's like, hey, that was a great dream. And that's exactly what it was. It was a dream. It it wasn't like there was no plan behind it. And when the market shifted and I couldn't do that anymore, it was like, oh crap. Like I never saw that coming. I thought I was going to be able to buy these things forever. It's just not the case. And so it's okay that you change your mind on what you want to do. Yeah, I've changed it a lot and I've changed the criteria a lot. And like I always say, today I'd probably never buy any of the properties that I own. (laughs) Yeah. You know, I just get more picky along the way. That being said, I have tons of properties that I love and that make me, you know, a decent amount of money. And I'm totally happy with, you know, what I've done. But I just refine that criteria more and more. And like, I probably, like, I'm just so picky now. I probably wouldn't buy a lot of those. But you're right about altering strategies. So like, I think the reason I called you a couple of weeks ago was like for like the third month in a row, I got an $8,000 maintenance bill from my property manager. And like, <laughs> you know what I mean? I was like, all right, I got to yeah. figure, I need like a better system for cash flow. And I was like, oh dude, right. you know, Joe and his vacation rentals, they cash flow like crazy. They do. They do cash flow like crazy. And I'm glad that's what inspired you to reach out. Cause that's also like the big lie that all vacation rental people tell you. It's like, <laughs> oh, we're making thousands of dollars a month on everything and it takes no time and I've got all these systems and maybe someone's true about that. But in reality, it's like short-term vacation rentals. It's really a job is what it is. You can do one or two of them very well without having like really good systems in place. But as you try to scale that, like this summer, we're going to have nine units here on Carolina Beach that are active and running. And it's like, man, you got to really know how to create that same repeatable experience for someone constantly to really have that run like a well-oiled machine and to also make it feel like, okay, there's one individual person pouring their heart and soul into this unit. Because these people, I mean, they're saving up the entire year to spend a week in one of my units. And so it's like, that's a lot of responsibilities. Like this stay has to be perfect for these people. Um, Wedding planner. (laughs) Oh man. Um, That would be awesome actually to get into some weddings, but, uh, that's also what I do. I squirrel around and uh, yeah. I'm trying to really focus in on what yeah, I need to be yeah. doing. But we're all ADD. <laughs> that's it. We're real estate investors. <laughs> if we could focus, we'd have real jobs. <laughs> that's right. <laughs> so give me the real numbers on the vacation rentals. Walk me through okay. some specifics on some of those deals. 
Okay. The interesting part about a short-term vacation rental is they're very property specific. So you can have a property that's right across the street from you that is not performing because it's based more on how you perform, not really what the property is and what you're willing to do to bring it up to that standard. And so you really have to view a short-term vacation rental through the lens of a business. You are building essentially a boutique hotel property management type style business around what you're doing. And so the experience is very important, but there's a couple rules that you really need to follow. It needs to be cute, clean, and it needs to be simple. And that's typically what you see in top performing properties, at least in my market. But we shoot for about $1,000 a month in cash flow. After all expenses paid, at the end of the month, every door we want to have generated about $1,000 of profit. Now, you manage it yourself because you're Correct. a full-time real estate guy. But what about for other busy professionals that would probably venture to hire a property manager? How much do those property managers charge and how much does that cut into the profit? And does that make it still a great thing at that point? Or what's your experience? I mean, I guess you probably always manage your own properties. But what have you heard from other people in the industry mm-hmm. about property management companies around short-term rentals? Typically, the larger property management companies are more traditional. So they're not utilizing a lot of the tools that you can use on a smaller scale. And so starting out, I always recommend that you start by running your own one because we've got Airbnb, we've got IGMS, we've got all these different property management softwares that can plug into what you do. But a traditional property management company is going to take anywhere from 18 to 20% of the gross profit. And on top of that, they're not necessarily going to perform as well as an individual. And so going with property management, especially on in a short-term vacation rental market, it's just not as lucrative. But at the same time, you're buying in a market that typically experiences large appreciation swings. And so I don't purchase for appreciation. I buy for cash flow. I secure long-term low interest debt and I have adequate cash reserves. But it's really nice to buy in a place that's going to have the potential for a ton of icing. And that's what I consider appreciation is a bunch of icing. And so even if you have a property that's paying for itself through property management, it's again, not the greatest thing in the world because you can really experience some awesome profits by running them yourself. And I highly recommend that because you just need a good property. You need a really great cleaner. You need a really great handyman and you need a really great landscaper. And then everything else you can pretty much automate. So how much time would you say somebody that bought two vacation rentals would spend a week? You could set that up to where you'd spend a couple hours a week at most running two vacation rentals, assuming that you put in the time on the front end. That's it. It's building great owner's closets. It's training your cleaner to operate exactly how you need them to clean. Because you don't want, like that cleaner is going to be your eyes and ears in the property. They're going to notice everything that's messed up before you do. And then they should be able to coordinate with your landscaper, with your handyman, like the people that are going to make it as turnkey as possible for you. The cleaner is someone that you really need to emphasize on and take care of them because they're incredible. Yeah. So you live in Carolina Beach, right? I do. Yes. So would there be any difference managing them from afar versus managing one that's in your backyard? It's tempting to live near them whenever you're first getting started. But the goal is, again, to run it like a business, to do everything you possibly can to not be involved at all. And whenever you get into larger numbers of units, you really need some form of boots on the ground, either some form of property manager that's here on site 
or a handyman that has a lot of flexibility because there's always going to be something that happens if you've got nine units running. And so having someone that you can trust that you can call is a huge benefit to you. We actually went out and hired a full-time employee just to run our portfolio. And so I'm taking myself a lot out of the day-to-day because I was doing a lot of that. And it lets me focus more on my job, which is helping other people buy and sell real estate now. And I use that to offset the risk of purchasing more Airbnb properties. Awesome. So earlier you said $1,000 a month in cash flow, which is great. But what are the other numbers associated with that, right? So how yeah. much did you put down? How much is your monthly mortgage? You know, is it like you have $3,000 a month expenses and $1,000 of cash flow? Or do you have $1,000 a month in expenses and $1,000 of cash flow? Right. Just for running basic numbers, we like to use a website called AirDNA. And AirDNA is essentially how you can pull comps. If you're a real estate agent for like looking at how much a house is worth, AirDNA will pull comps on what a short-term vacation rental in this location should do based off the other units around it. And so in my market, a one-bedroom, one-bath apartment should do somewhere between twenty-five dollars and $30,000 a year gross. And so we take that gross number. I personally multiply that by 0.7 because that takes out my cleaning expenses and very light maintenance. And then from that number, I've got my debt service. I got my taxes, my insurance. And then the last number on there is my profit because AirDNA also works in your vacancy rate into that number. And so we take that number whenever we're trying to decide if we're going to buy this property or not and figure out, okay, what should it do? And then we compare it to what it actually does after we purchase the property. And typically we outperform AirDNA by 10 to 15% in my market. Nice. Because you run it yourself. Because we run it ourselves. And well, that gross number too is showing, again, the gross number. And so if you wanted to take that and apply it to property management, they should do somewhere close to that range as well. If they are a rock star property manager, you can just take off the gross 18% and plug that into your number and get a more standard cash flow if you want to be completely removed from the situation. Gotcha. So how are you buying them? So I would imagine you got started with like a 10% down vacation home. Fannie Mae back type loan? That's definitely an option. For me personally, I've used private money and hard money to buy mine and bird into them, putting long-term debt on them after I was able to get the properties performing. But that's a difficult thing to do right now in this market because there's just not a lot of distressed properties on the beach for sale. There are some 5% down second vacation home loan options out there. There's a 10% down second vacation home loan. And I'm also uh, doing a house hack. And so we purchased a three bedroom, three bath, single family home about six blocks off the beach where we live in the top two bedroom, two bath. And there's a one bedroom, one bath mother-in-law suite underneath that we turned into a studio apartment. And that property pays the entire mortgage, taxes, insurance, whole nine yards. And I'm the crazy guy who lives on the beach for free. (laughs) So what's next for y'all? Well, next steps is we're looking at going larger. And so I'm also actively helping people buy and sell real estate, using that to offset the risk to buy more Airbnbs. But I'd like to be owning about 50 Airbnbs over the next two and a half years. And I'm looking into other markets to do that, but really looking to scale up what we've built because essentially we're running a very small boutique hotel with the numbers that we have. We've got nine units here on the island, but we would like to scale that and offset that risk by doing the brokerage stuff. Got it. So do you anticipate any like financing restrictions? So a lot of people, 
I'm guessing all of these these loans, the long term debt you ultimately always end up with is like a fanny thirty year fix type mm-hmm. of deal. Yes. So do you like run into any type of like debt to income restrictions or anything like that? Or I mean, go into 50. First of all, I think you can only have 10, but I think your wife's doing this with you as well. So I imagine Mm -hmm. you can each have 10. Are you worried about outgrowing your your debt supply? If I was looking at it from a primary residence or a Fannie Mae, Freddie Mac type loan backing, yes, I would. But I'm looking to get into small multifamilies and go to commercial financing so that I can fund those deals. I'm looking at smaller motels, smaller hotels and whatnot in other cash flowing markets and looking at buying those properties, fixing them up, getting them run through Airbnb and then just rocking and rolling from there. But buying one-offs, single family homes, stuff like that, duplexes, triplexes, quadplexes, yeah, you're going to eventually run out of your ability to do that from a five or 10% down ratio. And your debt to income is not necessarily going to be covered by the short-term vacation rental income. Traditionally, a bank wants two years of that before they're going to lend against it. And so you can offset that by buying multi-units and putting long-term tenant in one of them to help offset your debt to income ratio and then Airbnb being a portion of it to get your higher returns. But yeah, that is a problem you can run into if you don't have the W-2 backing to continually buy second vacation homes. Yeah. And I mean, I've been on the commercial debt forever and it's mainly just because I can't stand the underwriting process of the Fannie Mae back plan. It's terrible. I I keep saying like, oh, next time I'm going to have my ducks in a row. I'm going to have my, you know, three months of bank statements all clean and everything and everything's Mm going to look great. And then an opportunity comes up. I'm like, screw it. Just do a 20 year AM, 10 year balloon. We'll we'll refi it later. So I've got all kind of of crap on, on this like commercial debt. I have like, currently have four loans on the traditional kinds. Mm-hmm. I'm under the impression I could get up to 20 with my wife. I just haven't, I haven't ever explored it that far because I'm not patient enough to sit through. Like, dude, when I, when I bought that, like I, I just bought a new personal residence and mm-hmm. like halfway through the process, my lender called me and she goes, look, so your truck note wasn't reporting to the credit bureau. I said, well, I mean, it's auto-drafted out of my bank account. I definitely pay my truck note every month. She goes, all right, well, I'm going right. to do a credit refresh. So she did a credit refresh. She goes, oh, there it is. And she sent it to the underwriter. And the underwriter said, well, this is great, but on the credit refresh, there's $2,000 in credit card bills that were paid off. And I'm like, okay, well, that's good, right? I paid off credit cards. Like, I don't have any credit card debt. Yeah, but now we got to source the funds of where that came from. So we're going to need bank statements. And I'm like, dude, y'all are out of control like I, my commercial mm-hmm. lender like I don't even like go into the office I just call them and say like hey I'm buying a building on the 14th can you wire the funds and they're like how much I'm like 200 grand and they're like cool we'll be there you know what I mean? <laughs> and it's like and hey, we're done yeah that's right but like back to our earlier conversation about what works for you, like you can change your strategy, like having 30 year debt at a really low interest rate, like that's awesome. And I'm going through similar stuff right now. Like I'm in the process of refinancing this house and I purchased a quadplex recently off market that was under finance. That's the other four units that I'm bringing online. And I think it's going to screw up my uh, refinance for that very reason. It's like, Oh, well now you have this and you're doing this over here. It's like, where did all this come from? And it is what it is. But I'm very excited to get more into the commercial world so I can start dabbling more fun things. Absolutely. So what advice do you have for somebody that's like looking at just getting started? Any like lessons you learned along the way? Like, Oh, I would have done this differently. Yes, man. Read a bunch of books. 
I mean, like there are so many great books out there for helping you learn this, but it really all boils down to in the end of the day, it's daily consistent action. It's every day you are working to break down your goals and absolutely crush it. But it's waking up in the morning and having the discipline to do the things that need to get done to get where you want to be because there's really no ceiling in real estate. You can go as big or as far as you want in it, but it takes a lot of mental tenacity to just be able to sit there and think about it. Yeah. And you have to ignore everybody around you because everybody around you that told you not to do it, every time there's a, like a, a hiccup, they go, say, say, yes, yes. I wouldn't have done it. And it's like, "Ah." everybody's got a crazy uncle that lost their butt in real estate and they were changing toilets at two in the morning. It's like, no, you need to run it as a business. You need to read enough business books. You need to read Michael Gerber's E-Myth Revisited. You need to read Traction, like all these great books to help build a business around what you want to do. I really liked Revisited. Than Merrill. Yes. Yes. He like co-wrote it. That was a great book and I really love the concept and, and it stuck with me and I try and make most of my decisions that way. Like it was mm-hmm. really hard for me to turn my portfolio over to property management because like I just looked at the amount that I was going to be paying every month and then all the other expenses associated with it. And then like the fact that they weren't going to be running as good as me, not, not, not because they weren't as good at me at it, but like I would go take leases at seven o'clock on a Friday night. You know, I would go meet tenants at 10 a.m. on a Sunday and no reasonable property manager is going to be, you know, expected to do that. So it was really hard for me to turn it over. But like, honestly, after I turned it over, like, as it turns out, like I really sucked at property management, like not the leasing part. I was good at the leasing part, but like the maintenance sure. part, like, Oh, I mean, I was terrible there. They fix all kinds of stuff. They're like, dude, how did you not fix this? Like, well, I didn't know how to fix it. So, you know, like, so oh, it's so good but it made my life so much better. And I've like, I really was able to expand my business like so much faster and grow so much faster and open up these other opportunities with the large multifamily properties mm-hmm. that I never would have done. I never would have had the time to do if I would have like stayed in the thick of it, just running around doing everything. I started listening to traction recently and it was a little dry for me. I don't know why I just couldn't really like mm-hmm. get too into it. But different books like hit me differently at different points in my life. Like I'll buy a book and like read three pages of it and, like, eh, and stick it on the shelf and a year and a half later, pick it up and like read it in a day. And I'm like, holy shit, this is the best book I've ever seen. You know what I mean? Why didn't I read this? Yeah. <laughs> I really think that's what it comes down to. It's the daily consistent action, but it's also, it's like learning from these other people. It's the networking, it's the getting into the books because it's like, you can truly do whatever you want in real estate, which is the awesome part about it. I mean, I'm just your average Joe over here, like making it work. And it does like, it's amazing. I love it. Are you going to name your brokerage average Joe's real estate? Oh my gosh. That would be wonderful. <laughs> wouldn't it? Uh, just so average. I get like three or four customers a year. <laughs> I want to go over to our radio round real quick okay. and just kind of ask you some questions. So our listeners can get to know you a little bit better. What's your favorite book? Okay. So the favorite book, this is really one of the hardest ones is I was listening through like all your questions and I was like, man, like <laughs> there's so many great books out there that have just impacted my life, but I'm going to have to say uh, set for life by Scott Trench. It yeah. really boiled down. Like I really felt like it was rich dad, poor dad in a practical way to do it with real estate. And yeah. so I had to go with that one. Yeah. We love Scott. We had Scott on the show. It was funny. Somebody, I think Adam Adams posted on Facebook last night and he ended up taking it down. He's like, Hey, 
I applied for bigger pockets to get on the the podcast. And, you know, if anybody could put in a good word for me, I was like, dude, I've had like Scott Trench, Jay Scott, like <laughs> Matt Faircloth, everybody at bigger pockets on my show. And I've asked every single one of them to put a good word in for me. And I've applied to I'm not there. And they've never <laughs> called me. So I don't know if the good putting in the good words is like getting us there. Oh man, that's so good. One day, one day. That's right. So the next one is what's your favorite quote? Okay. I purchased this uh, full focus planner by Michael Hyatt and I got a uh, Oak journal. You can't see it. Ah, uh, Yeah. I can't see it because of my green. green, Yeah. It's too effective. I'm holding up a big. (laughs) (laughs) Amazing. But yeah, the quote from that was to accomplish your goals, we must distill our dreams into daily actions. And it's like the first massive quote they have on the very front of the planner. And it's just breaking down everything you want to do into daily consistent action. Yeah. 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 Super important. Super important. I do that constantly. I I write my goals on like a dry erase on the wall and I write them Mm -hmm. every day in my planner and my journal. And I'm just like on another dry erase board over there. I have like the next actionable step for the goals Mm. and I have like my annual goals. And then this, this thing, breaks the annual goals down to like 90 day goals and like, okay, well, what do I do this week? There's some good quotes out there about like a dream without a plan. It's just a wish or something like that. You know, mm-hmm. you lose your way when you lose your why and whatnot. Yeah. And I'm similar. I'm just not allowed to use a uh, dry erase boards. I'm not allowed to nail those into my wall. Do you not own the house? I do own the house, uh, yeah. but I'm married and I want to yeah. stay married. My wife makes all kind of irrational rules too. Um, <laughs> Why can't I nail this into the wall? Luckily for me, she doesn't listen to my podcast. <laughs> oh, there you go. Wow. I'm definitely not sending mine now. This one It's going to be great. Um, What's your favorite thing to do outside of work? Okay. Obviously, I'm the crazy guy who lives on the beach for free. I absolutely love the beach. My wife and I, anything on the water, we like taking our pontoon boat out and just hanging out with our dog and going for walks on the beach and anything around the ocean, we're all about it. My kind of like hidden closet thing that I really love doing is I love like 1970s two-stroke mopeds. It's like really, really weird hobby, and I absolutely love it. Well, you couldn't be the weird dude on the beach without a moped. Uh, That's true. (laughs) It's just who I am, unfortunately. (laughs) You grow that hair out a little bit more, and you look like Matthew McConaughey in... uh... Uh, If you stalk me on uh, Facebook, you'll see I used to have hair all the way down to like my belt buckle man it was bad <laughs> my wife and i were like two blonde girls biking down the beach on our tandem bike great. <laughs> so where can our listeners find you how can they buy real estate from you get you to sell their real estate and network with you about buying short-term rentals yeah absolutely so my cell phone number i'm just gonna give that to you is 336-972-0094 give me a call shoot me a text and you can also reach me at joe at reachprop.com and I've got another email, but it's ridiculously long because I've got a super weird last name. I agree. So you don't need that one. <laughs> All right. Joe, thank you so much for being on the show. We really appreciate everything you do and definitely look forward to keeping up with your success. Sounds good, man. I appreciate you guys having me on here and uh, keep on crushing it. Awesome. Thanks for tuning in to the Rent Roll Radio Show brought to you by Crestworth Capital. We hope you enjoyed the show. And if you did, please hit the subscribe button and leave us a rating and review. 
You can also visit us at CrestworthCapital.com or RentRollRadio.com or follow us on Facebook at RentRollRadio or at Crestworth Capital. If you would like to reach us, feel free to shoot us an email at info at RentRollRadio.com or sterling at CrestworthCapital.com. We hope you come back next week to join us on some more of our journey. Until then, happy investing. Happy investing.